Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. My name is Jackie Lewis. I'm the clinical nutritionist for BN Multi. Today's episode is more on behavioural change and expert in that field is Dr. Lynn McCormack. Lynn understands how hard weight management can be because she has past lived experience with being overweight and imprisoned in the vicious cycle of excessive dieting and exercise. Lynn has developed attentive weight management process because just like you, she's struggled, suffered, and lost years of her life in the process of trying to manage her weight. Lynn has unlocked a 20-year-long prison or, or vicious cycle and has walked away. She became an accredited practicing dietitian and undertook a PhD to research the program to help others who are struggling to manage their eating behavior. Please welcome Dr. Lynn McCormack. Thanks for your time today, Lynn. Yes, look, thank you very much, Jackie. I really appreciate it. I always love the opportunity to uh, talk about something that's very, very dear to my heart. So um, thank you. Yeah, and I think it's a, um, obviously past episodes of our podcast, we do cover a lot of behavioural change. We talk about, you know, calories in and calories out and nutrition and all that sort of stuff. But I think at the seat of our message is also the importance of behavioural change and accessing different ways to, um, to help patients who have have had weight loss surgery to overcome those changes as well. Now, you've done your PhD in such a topic. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Sure. Um, look, the PhD was a wonderful opportunity. Um, it's a very humbling experience, a PhD, not, definitely not for the faint-hearted. Uh, <laughs> took me to the wall and back, but um, I had a very good reason to keep going. So um, I got to the end, which was very exciting. But uh, the PhD helped me to understand in greater detail. Um, I looked at a model of, of temperament, which I'll talk a little bit more about in, in a moment. But I really wanted to understand how our temperaments were related to our overeating behavior, because if it comes down to our temperament, then it really is true what they say, you know, we can't run away from ourselves. So if our temperament's related to uncontrolled eating behavior, um, then it, to me, it just helps to normalize things and it brings it back to, okay, so what do we actually need to do to manage? And um, the research that I did absolutely definitely showed me that yes, um, our temperaments are related to our uh, eating behavior. And most excitingly, my research showed me that um, there's absolutely a, a solution and a way to help uh, people to manage. So it's very, very excited about my um, results. And so I guess, you know, a lot of people say that's just who I am or that's just what I do. Is your Are you saying your research has shown that that's all changeable and uh, modifiable if you've got the right tools? Is that what you mean by that? Yes, look, absolutely. Um, it's definitely modifiable. There is an aspect of our temperament that certainly um, is inherited and that's the more emotional reactive part and the research sort of indicates that we're born with that reactivity and we inherit it from our parents and so to a certain extent in terms of how emotionally responsive we are to the world around us we will either be a little bit more anxious or a little bit more outgoing or a little bit more afraid or a little bit more hey let's just jump over here and see what's happening and that's all fine however most excitingly and especially for behavior management we're not 
not at the mercy of those emotions. And um, that's where my work post-PhD, that's what I've been really focusing on. It's looking at another part of our temperament systems that can absolutely help us to manage that reactivity in our emotional natures because a a high level of reactivity and a limited uh, capacity or a reduced capacity to manage that for lots of different reasons is absolutely linked to uncontrolled eating behavior. So we've all heard the term neuroplasticity. It means that our brain is changeable. So we can actually work with an aspect of ourselves, our minds, um, to actually grow our capacity to to change and, and really get our teeth into the life that we want, you know, rather than continuing to be uh, pushed around by our, our emotions. Sounds wonderful. And you've spent four years post your PhD mapping out a process that um, is built to help others. That must have been pretty exciting. It was exciting. And I um, jokingly call it my self-funded post-PhD fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't been attached to a university when I've been doing it, mainly because I really wanted to go at it from, from my own perspective. And absolutely, I've had a, a heck of a lot of fun looking into some wonderful, wonderful evidence-based strategies that are out there. Lovely strategies in terms that they, you know, they're never, ever saying that a person is broken or there is something wrong with a person. They're very pragmatic and they're going, okay, this is what we have. This is the moment now. We're not interested in what's been. We res- respect what's been. But even though what has been, how can we move forward in the best way forward with what we've got Mm. and then yeah and I've just been so privileged because um, a client that I was struggling to help late last year actually um, inspired me to go seeking more information and that led me to some wonderful research from a a US addiction psychiatrist and habit change expert Dr Judd Brewer and um, his, his work has been the icing on the cake for me in terms of just answering some final questions on how with the model of temperament that I that I have, how do I best um, use the latest evidence-based strategies to really help my clients to um, move forward, no matter who they are, where they've come from, or what may have happened to them in their life. That's all absolutely absolutely respected and taken in consideration in session. But it's like, okay, now this is what we have. How do we move? How do we go? How do we use our past to uh, create our future? And yeah, looking at, of course, honoring in that, but not living it. So it's changing the way that that affects us to a more positive kind of um, trajectory, I suppose. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It's, it's about transformational change at its best because, um, you know, I think it's a very inspiring thing that human beings want to change because that's great. It means yeah. we're not sitting on our hands doing nothing. Um, and that to me is extremely motivating. And that's the reason why I do what I do because I want to help people who are stuck and they don't want to be stuck. <laughs> so if you don't want to be stuck, it's it's my greatest joy uh, to help my clients to move forward because we all can. You know, at the end of the day, there is still that X factor and that's the person and that's the the knowledge that the person receives. It's the inspiration they receive. It's that awareness that all of a sudden just seems to come out of the blue that lights their fire, gives them the spark and Mm. and really helps to make that transformation. I sort of see myself as a bit of an alchemist, really. I love um, turning the lead of the past into the gold of the future. It's really cool. Yeah, and I, you know, I've spoken with you off air as well and I can hear how excited you are and how it's just, you know, does light you up. And I think that's, and even having that in practice with other people is, you know, it's quite infectious to have someone who's right in your corner and who has the tools to give you that sort of path forward as well. So looking at, you know, obviously when you're seeing 
your clients, what are some of the first words that new clients say when they sit down in front of you? Oh, gee, that's an easy one because they so it, they so it, they say it so often. Um, the, the most common one is, "I know what to do, but I just can't do it." And another one that makes me a little bit sad is that, uh, yeah, this one's a little bit more sad. It's I'm heavier now than when I went on my first diet. Yeah, and I, I hear that over and over and over again. And what do you think is there for those people that? You know, what is it that's about humans that we know what we should be doing, but we're not doing it? Or, you know, every Monday we say, this is it for me. I'm going to start this new health trajectory and I'm going to, you know, start exercising and do all the right things. What is it that is stopping those habits forming in the first place? Well, what do you think is in the way of the behavior change? Sure, absolutely. So first of all, I always come from the viewpoint, there's absolutely nothing wrong, wrong with my clients. Um, the reason why that they can't change their behavior is actually really quite simple they haven't been taught how to you know um and the the difficult thing is you know they when people first come to me and they tell me their stories uh, something uh, often out of their mouth is you know i feel like a failure and no no not a failure and it would seem like a failure i can understand that because you know you keep trying to do something you can't achieve it well what's wrong with me there's absolutely nothing wrong with them um is that when you view it from a temperament informed approach there's very good reasons why they can't do what they need to do and it just comes down to the fact that they're uh, using their minds more uh, ineffectively. So when it comes to managing our eating behavior, as I mentioned before, we can't run away from ourselves. Yeah. So how we act, react to our environment and whether or not this results in overeating behavior is absolutely influenced by our temperament. So to be really brief, temperament is made up of two major aspects. One, we inherit from our parents and their parents, and it determines how re reactive we are in direction of things that are good for us. So re reactive in a positive direction, approach pleasure. How do we know we get motivated? we get excited, we want to go after it. And then there's another aspect to that reactive emotional nature of that temperament. And it's to avoid things that could potentially be bad for us. So we perceive a threat or we see something is dangerous. So we, we experience fear or anxiety, and then we try and move away from it. So those two temperament factors, basically approaching pleasure or avoiding pain, um, they're attached to our emotions. So they'll determine how we feel, whether we're more likely to have a positive outlook or perhaps a negative outlook where we're worried quite a lot about things that might happen. Now, the great news with the temperament model that I looked up is that it's not its not just about that reactivity. There's another capacity which allows us to regulate it. And it comes online from about one on and, and just continues to develop right up into early adult. And this is also why teenagers struggle. Hey, <laughs> all of those emotions, all of those hormones coming up and they just don't know what to do with themselves because that, that capacity to regulate, that's still developing as an inter interacts with life. So what my research showed me was that the more reactive we are and the less capacity that we have to regulate this, it's absolutely um, linked to uncontrolled eating behavior. So when it comes to the temperament eating behavior literature, absolutely high stress, anxiety, depression is often linked to uncontrolled eating. Positive emotions are also linked. And I do see some people who come to see me and they say, I eat when I'm sad, they eat weight when I'm happy, I just overeat, you know, what, what's going on? Um, um, and what the literature tends to show, and certainly my own research showed me that the higher the threat, the sensitivity to, you know, potentially bad things happening, the threat, when that's high and that reg 
regulative capacity to manage that is low, absolutely linked to uh, uncontrolled eating behavior. Definitely. That guide, that yeah. So that guidance just isn't there. And, you know, you see it yourself. I see it all the time. Uh, That regulative capacity can get exhausted. It can get tired. So this is why after a hard day's work, someone who's trying to watch their weight, they may have been struggling at work. They may have been on the computer all day. Um, They may have had to put up with a difficult personality and all that takes regulative capacity and it gets worn out. There are times when we just can't use it effectively. And and this is what's happening when we can't use that part of our mind effectively. This is when um, we're absolutely at the mercy of our habit, definitely. Makes so so much sense when we talk about willpower because a lot of people will hop on the weight loss surgery journey and they think that just using their willpower, now they've got a small tummy or just eat small meals. I'll just eat less of, you know, what I used to eat and I'll use my willpower. But like you're saying is then stress comes in or that difficult person at work or too much going on and we just can't keep all those balls in the air. So if you are relying on that willpower and it's being directed somewhere else for a period of time, healthy eating and exercise and all that sort of stuff is the first thing to fall apart, which is why we always say you can't rely on willpower because it just won't be there all the time if there's other things that are taking up that space. So that makes complete sense that it's like you're tired to the end of the day and you just don't have that space to keep making those good decisions. It's, you know, the cup's empty. Perfect. Absolutely right. You're saying everything right and that's exactly right. And I really love what you said there. Um, They're directing that um, part of their mind to something else and that's the point. So you've actually really led into this next little little explanation. It's like I've done this before. (laughs) I know, I know. This is very cool. They are using their mind ineffectively. They're directing that part of their mind to what I call problem solving or to try and get rid of their emotion. And that's the ineffective part. And so, yeah. And you've also nailed it. You know, they're tired. Why? Because when you use your mind ineffectively to manage your thoughts and feelings, that absolutely snaps the door shut on your vicious circle. And it's, yeah, it's really insane. Insidious, it's horrible, it's nasty. It's easy to tell the difference too, though, reg- uh, regarding whether or not you're using your mind effectively or ineffectively. When you use your mind effectively, your motivation's high, you know what to do, and you can do it. When you use your mind ineffectively, your motivation drops into your boots. You know what to do, but you just can't seem to do it. And the reason for this is that when you use your mind ineffectively, you become exhausted. So, as a metaphor, ineffective use is like trying to hold back the waves in the ocean. It's exhausting, mm. much more effective. Get on your surfboard and surf the waves that's exhilarating that's exactly right isn't it yeah sounds pretty yeah it sounds so easy doesn't it you know well it's it's there is a clear the process is simple the practice is uh, the practice is tricky but it's not it doesn't have to be hard depends how much the person struggles once they learn how to use their mind effectively it just it's almost like you pull that sausage link and they all just start start coming streaming in yeah it's 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 a process yeah it's one small step after another but you know it's all got to do with how we form habits so Judd Brewer who I mentioned earlier a great um, habit change expert and according to his formulation of habit uh, emotional eating absolutely creates a physiological habit physiological because when you do it often enough often enough it almost becomes grooved into our emotional bodies and the second part is when on top of that you're using your mind ineffectively the part of the brain that you need to use to change your behavior to change the habit is it goes offline okay it's gone we can't use it so therefore we can't change so 
because no one has taught people how to change in a more effective way, the next time they're emotional, what are they going to do? All they can do is fall back onto their habits. So my clients often tell me that when they experience negative thoughts and feelings such as boredom, stress, anxiety, fatigue or depression, um, they eat and Mm. they tell me, you know, this leads to feeling better in the short term and terrible in the longer term. Then they'll often point or smack themselves on the forehead and say, what's wrong with me? And it's exactly right. They're losing that part and not using that part of the mind that they need in that moment to help them to change because they're struggling with trying to get rid of thoughts and feelings. That's what's leading to the overeating behavior. Um, yeah, but they're not failures. They're just at the mercy of their habits. Um, and it is a process. And, you know, sometimes when it is really hard, we can do the simplest thing and not just buy the chocolate or don't buy the chips and just don't have it in the house. That's okay. But as a person starts to get stronger, I'd really love to encourage them to have the chocolate and the chips in the house because there's nothing more exhilarating to actually get to the point where you realize, oh, that chocolate's been sitting in my fridge for a month and I haven't had any. And it creates choice doesn't it? Oh, so yes. then if yes. it's creating choice there, where else would you be creating choice, you know, in other areas of your life if you've got that kind of control? See, you're all over this. <laughs> that's exactly right. And and that's, and that's what I see in my clients. It's wonderful. Yeah. You know, they, it's not just about the food. They take all of these strategies into their lives and it's, it's so much fun. It's interesting. I did another podcast about decluttering and they were saying the same thing. It's like the stuff represents something and it's like, it's never about the stuff. So it's often not about the food. It's about what's underneath that and accessing you know the connection that we have to it or the you know learned behavior or the habit or whatever it is and just kind of unpicking that and seeing what's underneath it and this is you know the the whole reason I love this podcast is because it's all about accessing that and and I think it's not necessarily explored enough is that um, that understanding that we have these you know mindsets or systems or habits or temperament like you say that you know it all stacks up to create what we think is us but it's also flexible enough that we can um, create change and and become, you know, do those things that we want to do and, and have that handle on different areas of our life. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Humans are quite complex and wonderful, but really interesting as well. And so are there differences between those who've had versus those who have not had bariatric surgery when you see them in practice? Yeah, look, that's a great question. Not really. Mm. Um, and, I'll, and I'll clarify. So uncontrolled eating behaviours absolutely exist upon a continuum. So those who have had bariatric surgery may exhibit more extreme types of eating behavior, but this doesn't always seem to be the case. So for example, I have seen some individuals in my clinic who have had surgery and I'll, I'll wonder why. For um, for example, uh, one lady who's recently turned up, she decided to have surgery. She did have a sleeve and she wasn't successful with the, um, sorry, she had a band, wasn't successful with the band and then decided to move to a sleeve. But in conversation with her, her her struggle is yo-yo dieting and she just became so sick of it that she decided to to turn to surgery and it makes me a little bit sad when I hear stories like that because this type of behavior can be changed with solid education and training in how to use one's mind more effectively but regardless of surgery or not surgery across the board what I see is that the more reactive the individual from a temperament perspective the more they will struggle so that's that reactivity coming from that those 
more emotional circuits and then uh, less capacity to manage it effectively. And um, the research absolutely um, supports that. So I'll just back up a sec. When I'm talking about uncontrolled eating behavior, that any behavior uh, that's been looked at in the literature that describes a loss of control over food intake. So it can encompass terms like addiction, disinhibition, which is uncontrolled eating, eating purely for its rewarding effects, emotional eating, um, binge eating. At the lower end of the spectrum, so I said it's a continuum, eating behavior can be viewed as passive overeating um, where there's no impulsive or compulsive symptoms. And then it can move right up to the more opposite extreme, which is characterized by uh, binge eating episodes and by severe episodes of loss of control over eating. But, you know, I've seen these behaviors in both people who have had surgery and those who, who haven't had surgery. So, you know, what's going on? If you look at temperament and we take the metaphor of an arm wrestle, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been trying to work out how can I describe temperament and what's going on. And the arm wrestle is the best one. I'll be happy if your, um, your listeners have any other metaphors I'd like to send my way. But at the moment, let's look at it in terms of an arm wrestle. So if you imagine you're the part of your temperament that possesses, that possesses a capacity to manage your mind and your opponent represents your emotionally reactive temperament. Problem is, is that your opponent is the arm wrestling champion of the world and you have not done a lot of arm wrestling. So the deal is, and this is where your willpower comes in, you can pit all of your strength against them. You can try really, really hard, but at some point, because they had trained harder than you have, they're going to be stronger and they will overpower you no matter how hard you want to beat them. And it's exactly the same thing when it comes to using your mind ineffectively to change your habits. If the person keeps trying to get rid of their thoughts and feelings by eating, you cannot wear that arm wrestling champion out no matter how hard you try. And when you look at it in life, you can never actually get rid of thoughts and feelings. And over time, this unending cycle of unhelpful behavior reinforces itself into a horribly constrictive, vicious cycle that ultimately wears the person down. So it's not all doom and gloom, but there has to be a perspective shift, you know, that habit. You have to come at it from a different um, perspective. And and this is all through the research. Once again, I'm actually going to write a paper because it hasn't been picked up at a, at a higher level. Mm. Every, everybody's aware. There's the negative emotion. All It's all, everyone's aware. There's negative emotion. There's low levels of capacity to manage that. That comes across in bariatric clients. It comes across in clients who um, haven't um, had surgery. It's the same relationship, high negativity, um, lowered capacity to manage, and then impulsive responding, which to me is, is the habit. And But as I said, it's definitely not doom and gloom. Um, I have been working with young lung, one young lady who has quite significant uh, mental health uh, difficulties. Um, she also started with a band, then moved to a sleeve and has a diagnosis of binge eating disorder. Her body mass index um, was close to 50. So she's, she's more... She's She's at that high reactive end, absolutely. She's at that high reactive end. Um, we've worked together over the last year and she's managed to lose 10% of her body weight, all right? But it's been a process and we have worked together over mm. a year. So there is always light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a process. There's definitely absolutely no quick fix to this. But the other thing is, though, everyone's different, you know? Some people just pick up the ball and they're gone and it's like, whoa, how did you get that so quickly? But they did, yeah. you know? So you, you can't say it's going to take X long or it's going to take you blah, blah. It's depending upon the person and, and where they're at in their life. Yeah, um, and what comes up along the way too. Like you're right, some people you say, here's the deal, this is how we do it. They go, great, and they just take it off and the next thing they come back to you and they've done everything. And I'm like, dream, dream, quite you know, working really well, then there's other people who have that kind of long and winding road. And, and 
nothing's right or wrong. It's just your your own journey, which is also what we talk about a lot in our bariatric group is not comparing, you know, how long did it take you to lose this much weight and how's, you know, how much are you eating now and that sort of stuff. And I think people need a, a reference, but I think to not be guided by what other people are doing and how quickly things are happening or not quickly, it is very individual as well. And I think um, a lot of it is just being okay with it, that it is your own process. And, um, you know, it's some for some it's fast and for some it's a little bit slower. Absolutely beautifully said. Yes, definitely. And um, you picked up last time when we were talking that what you have noticed is that when people use these processes, their life changes in other ways. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal because then it doesn't matter how long it takes because their life is unfolding in, in ways they never imagined possible. Yeah, and that takes and the focus of the scale, doesn't it? And I think that's yes. also what we need to do a bit more of is like, well, you know, you're not quite there yet as far as what you want weight-wise, but have a look at, you know, the new job you've taken and the yeah, some of it astounds yes. me. Like people are just making decisions <laughs> and stepping up to things that they just never would have done in the past because their life is starting to work in a way that it hasn't before. And that's when you know they're making that kind of deeper cut and the bigger change that sometimes they don't even see how big it is, you know, and I think it's good to have a journal to take stock of all those things because, you know, people are changing things all the time that that they just like look back and it's not until it's pointed out. I think sometimes it's like, look what you're doing now um, because we forget. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Spot on. Exactly. And and this is one thing that I say to my clients, you need that um, objective view. You've got to come back in. You need to be able to see what you're doing because you may not always be aware of it, but absolutely, you know, and, and it's bringing the person into the greater story of life and just letting them go off and living as well as they can based on, you know, what they're taking on and the new experiences they're having. And it's just wonderful. Yeah, it's good to see. And so what's the nature of the vicious cycle of emotional eating? Sure. So the nature of the vicious cycle of emotional eating. In my opinion, the individual is struggling with the same process. Okay. So a Buddhist Lama once told me to be hard on the habit and soft on the person. (laughs) (laughs) They're Lamas for a reason, aren't they? You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. And um, this is how I structure my sessions with empathy and compassion. That's great. Yeah. Because the difficulty is is that the more reactive the individual, the more they'll get caught up in the habit loops, more confused and demoralized they become, which makes it harder and harder for them to succeed because they become exhausted by trying. So at the heart of it, the vicious circle, it's the individual's attempts to try to get rid of the thoughts and feelings that precede the eating behavior is the problem. So let me explain. So, So we seem to have a default mechanism to employ a problem-solving frame of mind to try and get rid of our emotion. And this is the ineffective use of our mind because we cannot get rid of our thoughts, feelings, or memories. And um, there's a lovely uh, ACT trainer, Acceptance and Commitment Training, Russ Harris. And um, I actually had the privilege to to meet him once in some training and I'd had a particularly rough night. (laughs) I had my own stresses and things going on and I hadn't slept very well. And it was morning tea time and I, I said, there's no one else in the room. And I said, Russ. And he looked at me and I said, does it ever go away? He looked at me and I said, fear. I said, does it ever go away? And he just smiled and he said, no. And I said, look, I didn't think so. I just needed to hear it from you. 
especially <laughs> hearing it from him. <laughs> yes. yes. So you're trying to get rid of stuff um, that makes it worse. And, you know, you can, it's intuitive and logical sense and you can see it. You know, you try and get rid of your emotions or thoughts and feelings. How by eating? Excellent. You're happy for the short term and then ha- unhappy for the long term. And it so clearly uh, leads to a more emotional eating. I sort of like to equate it to, um, you know, why do we get so stuck in this? It's simple. It feels good. It's like scratching a mozzie bite while struggling in quicksand. It feels mm. great for the short term, right? But it's the fastest way to an infection or the bottom of the, the sand pit, okay? That, that the reason why it's because we're used to engaging a problem-solving mind because we use it so often in our external world. And what I mean is it's raining outside. You go outside. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get wet. So you get an umbrella, you put it up. Excellent problem solved. And because it's so simple, we try and turn that process onto our thoughts and feelings, but it just doesn't work. And, you know, that's, and this is the nature um, of the vicious cycle. Judd Brewer puts his habits so simply. I just love the way he does it. He looks at emotional eating as a habit because there's a trigger, a thought or a feeling, a behavior, eating, which is then rewarded. It's mm. the um, dopamine hit, the endorphins from the sugar, salt and fat from um, highly palatable foods. They're rewarding. As soon as you have a trigger behavior response or a reward, boom, you've got a habit. That's mm. just, that's just physiology. <laughs> All right. And yeah, you just can't, you can't escape that. And the problem is the short-term win of the positive feeling reinforces the sneaky, the sneaky habit. And then the long-term loss of the negative feeling that you get after you wake up and realize what you've done continues to feed it. And so this is why employing a problem-solving mindset to get rid of thoughts and feelings can never, ever work. And, you know, I, I sort of have fun with my client. Um, and when they say, oh, I'm eating because of this or because of that, I'll say, well, how old is that? How old is that story? And I'll say, it's years old. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, has it worked yet? And I go, no, but it's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it's like the New Year's resolution, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's like I'll just bang my head, my head against the same wall again because January 1's come around and here I am. I'm not happy with what happened last year, but I'll try it again this year. So this is the year, but the same old plan is put in place that didn't work last year. So it's working out underneath that kind of what needs to change to, you know, actually be fruitful. Correct. Yes. And so there's a vicious cycle. Do you have a solution mean if I came on here without one, wouldn't it? It would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be a bit mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here's the moment we've been waiting for, the answer. Uh, What's the solution? Drum roll. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, there is a solution and there's actually a number of solutions. So the solution I'm going to present here is is really the first step. It depends upon the, the severity of the, the habit and the and the behavior and the context and the reactivity. But I'll certainly give you um, or give your audience a, a strategy they can take away with them. Um, it's it's a part of the process just so that they can see when they employ it. Oh, isn't that interesting? Something different happened. But when there's there's greater depths of emotional eating, um, other strategies will need to be employed, but they're all targeting the same thing. They're just supporting from a slight slightly deeper perspective. So it's a continuum again, ones at the lower end to help. um, And then you need to employ other strategies um, just depending upon the client and what's going on. Mm. So the solution is to learn how to use your mind more effectively. There you go. We can all go home now. (laughs) 
we've, got, we've, got, we've gone from the ineffective to effective use of mind. And the effective use of mind is seriously to engage your mind to become present in the moment instead, okay? So it sounds trite, but it's not. It's hard to become present, but when you are present, you get to stop and consider what's the big picture. You get to step away from your thoughts and feelings for a moment. And then as a result, you can see the whole forest instead of being stuck amongst the trees. You get to give yourself some space to reflect. And in this space, you have the opportunity to consider an alternative solution. From a neuroscience perspective, everything just settles down. You give your brain time to come back online and to remember, what am I actually trying to achieve here? Okay, Because when we're too attached to those negative thoughts or feelings, they're driving us almost like um, a cat on a hot tin route. Jump here or jump there. We need to get some space. Okay, so individuals struggle with their weight management attempts because they don't know how to change their perspective from a problem-solving mind to a mind that is firmly anchored in the present moment. And of course, this is a problem. Imagine you walk outside, you fall into that quicksand that just miraculously appeared. If you don't stop and remember how to float, you're going straight to the bottom. Okay, <laughs> so, but that's the that's the difficulty, right? It's hard. Yeah. Yep. So to manage weight, the individual must learn how to remember their long-term goals and desires in those very moments that have previously enabled their failures. This is tricky, but not impossible and requires training. So this is where the process starts to kick in. Uh, the value is that when an individual changes their perspective from problem solving to training, their presence of mind to return to the present moment instead, they are able to give themselves the space they need to remember their longer term goals and consciously choose the next step. So I teach my clients how to use strategically selected mindfulness strategies to change their perspective and create the space they need to shift their focus from short-term habitual behaviors to, to the longer term goals that they desire. And it really is about learning how to be comfortable with the desire, the feeling to struggle in that pit of uh, quicksand. And even though and even though you want to struggle, it's learning how to float instead, okay? But this is why habit change can be so tricky because it feels so right to struggle and so wrong to float. So this metaphor paints a good picture, but let's draw a little a one a little closer to home. There's no quicksand in Australia. <laughs> so the process to successfully manage your weight is exactly the same as learning how to stop and take a deep breath before you hit the send button on that inflammatory email. Oh, we can relate to that. I, I thought you could. Good work, yeah. I thought you could. Because <laughs> there's no rewind, is there? <laughs> no. Just feels like a really good idea at the time. Yeah. And that's exactly yep. it, is that's that dopamine, isn't it? It's the boom and the short-term win, but it's the it doesn't give you a big picture in the end. No. So the dopamine is setting up the drive. So the dopamine is the motivation. What reinforces the habit is then the endorphins, the opioids that come in in response to ingesting the high fat, the high salt, the sugar, in addition to the dopamine tick in the box. Yep. You've just done what you've always done. Excellent. Proceed. Well done, you. Yep. Good on you. Do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but once again, you know, things can change. So um, uh, Dr. Brewer, he's actually developed a, a web-based app and I, I often work um, with my clients with this, especially those who have had surgery because it just provides a lovely process um, to help them to come at their weight management from a completely different perspective, to be honest. And in between sessions, um, that app's working with them in the background to really help them to change the way that they use their minds. But he found that, um, so he's done research with this app and he found that 
it took um, participants approximately 10 times using a particular mindfulness strategy to change the way that they responded to their cravings. But the persistence of the uh, participants paid off. They found a 40% reduction um, in craving-related eating. Um, wow. So as a result, yeah, and that's huge, that's right? huge, yeah. So, you know, that's direct proof that, yes, yeah. you can help people to stop reacting uh, habitually to their triggers. And one of my earliest clients um, in starting this work was a woman, she actually did have a normal BMI so she ha- and she hadn't had surgery. However, she just sat down in front of me and when I asked her how I may help, she burst into tears and said, you've got to help me to stop binge eating, taking. So, you know, that's just one of the key mindfulness skills that I taught her was effectively how to um, float instead of struggle. Um, and she learned um, how to, over time through a process, how to sit with the craving and watch it and observe it from a distance and actually see, ah, oh, you know what? It rises and falls and then goes away. And I actually didn't need to make it go away. And, and, and it's the direct experience of doing the work that allows to change because you can't you can't deny that yeah no and 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 then that's how we actually use our minds to help us because once you go through an experience like that you're all over it Mm. because you remember it and because you remember it you develop the confidence to have another go and then you're off and racing that's correct (laughs) because you get to see it don't you so you've it's not just someone telling you you can do this and it will come and go it's you've actually witnessed it actually happen and I think that's where we get caught up is we hear it, you know, a couple of years after surgery when hunger comes back, people are like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not a bad thing. That's just a signal. So it's also our association with these signals and what we make of it. Because hunger is a standard feeling that a weight loss surgery patient or not, we experience it every day if you let your, you know, the space in between meals get to be long enough that you do get hungry. But in most situations, someone who's been in a situation where they need weight loss surgery, they're not going hungry. So it's a new feeling, but it's not a bad or negative feeling. It's just a signal. But a lot of the time there's this association with, oh my God, I'm hungry. And it's more that re-education around what that hungry feeling is. It's just a signal that you need to have a meal and it will happen. So it's also changing their understanding of what these signals are and becoming more comfortable with letting them rise and going, oh, that's hunger. I might need food. Do you know what I mean? And not going, oh my God, here comes hunger. I'm hungry. That's a bad thing because hungry is a, is a healthy feeling. But I think it's always associated with a negative connotation because it means here I go, I'm going to overeat or I might get this wrong or don't stuff it up or, you know, don't eat the wrong things. So there's a lot of rules and limitations that they're putting in around this, you know, this word hunger, for instance, and what they associate it with. So that would give them an opportunity to just sit and observe it and know then that hungry won't either, it won't kill you. <laughs> so it's um, yes. getting comfortable with uncomfortable and knowing that it's not a panic state. Exactly. However, um, what you've touched on there is really important. And um, there's a couple of things in that. Uh, One is potentially another podcast, Mm. um, but in line with the, yeah, (laughs) aren't you lovely? (laughs) Aren't you nice? But (laughs) in line with the podcast we're having at the moment, the more sensitive the individual, the more frightening that feeling is. Right. Okay, so yeah. that needs um, that takes some time to learn to recognize and through the use of different mindfulness techniques and strategies 
teaching the client over time, even though they're wanting to, you know, just run away, teaching them how to stay present. And that's a process that depending upon the sensitivity of the person and the associations they've built with that, they can take some time. And then what's another podcast is potentially you have some individuals who are not aware of that at all, the hunger and actually what they're feeling is a craving, but they think it's hunger because they don't know the so yeah it's also getting clear on what mm, your signal very good. is too yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and so we've gone through solution touched on that and something to take home in the show notes for this episode i'd like to include um contact with you can you tell us a little bit about how our patients would reach you should they feel the need to change their behavior <laughs> in a mindful way oh aren't you aren't you lovely yeah, sure. Aren't you lovely? Thank you. Before I do that, though, I would like to send, uh, provide a small strategy just as yes, a gift. Please, thank you. Say thank you, but um, I will certainly take the opportunity to <laughs> let your participants know how they can contact me. Oh, My, I have a web page. It's um, com. So D R L Y N M C C O R M A C K dot com, and um, I'm actually uh, actually in the process of organising some group sessions. There'll be no greater than ten for individuals who would like to work uh, with that app. Um, they can certainly have a look at that app online. It's called Eat Right Now. Um, it's an app produced by Judd Brewer. Um, but definitely, I found that uh, working one on one or working in a group session with that app just gives much much better results because you're always able to stay in touch with the facilitator such as myself um, just guiding the client through that but yes thank you I'd, I'd love to um, yeah, yeah and definitely Dr Brewer's work sounds amazing he, look he's fantastic um, <laughs> I get up at 20 to 2 in the morning once a week <laughs> to, to chime in with the group and um, yeah no he's very very approachable uh, very lovely person uh, very very big into the whole mindfulness and um, has done uh, a truckload of research um, in the mindfulness space and um, the behavior change space and the habit change space. So yeah, some very, very good work there. Yeah. And bringing together all of that in one package, like you say, is, um, you know, very fruitful to have that support as well as technology working together. Yes, absolutely. Very beneficial. It, um, I just find it definitely uh, just fills in the gaps. You know, I, I like to see my clients um, once a fortnight, once a week in, in a group setting if they're using the app, but they've just got time to practice um, during the week. And then we can't get back together and, and have a chat and um, just help them through, you know, what have you found and normalizing things. And uh, because they're in a group, they get to hear other stories and um, realize, oh, someone else is struggling in the same area or, oh, someone else has got through something that I didn't know that I could and um, it's just lovely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. And so getting back to the strategy, sorry to cut you off there. No, not a problem. Yes. Okay. So this is a really easy strategy. It's actually, um, it's it's not mine. I've, I've, um, uh, I've used it, I've taken it from acceptance and commitment training. It's a very simple strategy, but it just ties in so well with starting to uh, helping clients to realize, well, what mind are you using? Are you about to reinforce your use of your problems? solving mind or are you actually using your presence of mind so just remembering that when you use your problem solving mind you're going to reinforce a habit loop mm. <laughs> and when you're using your presence of mind you're about to step out of a habit loop and take a um, take a step in a new more fruitful direction so to determine what part of the mind or how am I about to use my mind am I about to use it effectively stepping out of the habit loop or ineffectively um, problem solving away thoughts feelings and memories about to reinforce 
Um, so that habit loop, very simple. The fastest way to find yourself back to a present of mind state and to work out what part of the mind am I actually in is when you have a choice to make. You just stop and you ask yourself, if I act in line with my thoughts and feelings right now, are they going to take me towards a life I want or away from it? And if, yeah, if your actions are going to take you away, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not self-sabotaging. You're not doing any of those things that you try and convince me that you're doing. You are just about to um, respond to a habit and reinforce a habit. That's it. And sometimes just that simple exercise on itself can be enough to pop people out of their habits and to give them the space they need uh, to take a step in a different direction or to try something new. And so this is often where I start my clients is in this one simple step. If I act in line with my thoughts and feelings, are the guy that takes you away, caught up in a habit loop? If acting in line with them takes you towards, you actually have retained sufficient presence of mind to remember everything that you want and you realize you've weighed up the pros and cons in an instant. You've gone, no, I need to go in another direction mm. and take that step. Now, there's other strategy when they do that, okay? So this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, it's a simple strategy to use, easier to use when you're not overreactive. As the reactivity goes up, it can be harder to use it and that's when other strategies have to come in. But this is a nice place to start it gives you that chance to make a choice i read a great book and i'm trying to think of the name of it i think it was atomic habits it's one of my favorite ones with um james clear and he was talking about a woman who'd lost 40 kilograms and the way she did it was just by saying to herself every time she was making a decision about something is this what a healthy person does so everything everything she did she was like how would a healthy person do this how would a healthy person get to work? How would a healthy person, I don't know, go shopping or how does, and just by asking that question, it gave her the chance to think about healthy people she knew and how they do it. So she started, you know, getting off the bus one stop earlier because that's what a healthy person would do. So it also takes it um, out of what do I do? Do you know what I mean? And into what does a healthy person do? Because that's where I'm headed. So it's um, it also sets you up to, you know, fulfill that bigger goal I thought that was really worthwhile too and it's very similar to that kind of strategy as well yes no you've nailed it again and it's all about creating presence this is what presence of mind is because um when we get out of our way and stop trying to problem solve away thoughts and feelings, we become present in the moment because the reason why um we're uncomfortable is is actually absolutely because there's a choice to be made if there was no choice you'd be doing business as usual you wouldn't Mm. even notice that something had come up but precisely because we have a choice that is um, experienced in the brain as conflict and if you're sensitive that conflict is aversive that's the that's the problem so every choice is uncomfortable and this is why it's so important to stop trying to get rid of that discomfort because if the person keeps trying to get rid of that discomfort at their choice point they're never going to go forwards yeah that's a good point and i think it's part of growth isn't it that it's not always pretty well <laughs> or comfortable well it's actually it's physiological um, because if, if you put it into perspective um, a choice means something new has to be done And if you've never done it before, you need to pay attention. 
And, and that's why um, anxiety is produced. Anxiety is just a signal to stop and pay attention. Uh-huh. But because we're human and we've decided we don't like it and we try and get rid of it, that's where all the problems come in. That's interesting. So it's more our have to pay attention. Absolutely. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. And they also talk about that. It's like anxiety from a physiological point of view has the same chemical makeup as excitement. And it's like, well, which one is it? So you have to work out whether standing up at the top of the bungee bridge, just about to jump off, are you anxious or are you just exhilarated and excited about what you're going to do next? So we do need to have a look at, um, and it goes back to what we were told when we were very little or whatever, the different beliefs we take on. But often you can mistake that anxiety for, you know, anticipation or it could be a positive. And it, it depends on, you know, our outlook on it, I suppose, and just having the moment to make the choice around what is that feeling and what does it represent? And is that correct? Yes, can that's change exactly it? right. Mm, yes. Yeah, yes. Just a cascade then, isn't it? Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Fascinating. Thank you. I'm aware of the time and I know you have other commitments today, but um, in our show notes, we'll definitely have all of the links to Dr. Lynn's mindfulness program and how to access the workshops and that sort of thing. Also, I will include um, the connections with the doctors you've also, um, you know, referenced and the apps and that sort of thing too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So thank you. I appreciate your time today. It's been as usual very interesting and um i'm sure there's some other things we can explore in future podcasts as well i'd love that look that's fine and would you like me to put a little pdf in there about the exercise that i've just walked you through we would love that anything you're willing to provide we'll pop down um so that it gives the um reference for listeners as well and um it'll all be there in the show notes yeah no I'll, i'll send that through not a problem at all thank you very much dr lynn mccormack thanks so much for your time it's been wonderful thank you very much jackie for the opportunity it's been lovely i i'm very happy when i get to talk about this aspect of I things. can hear that <laughs> it's my happy place it's great it's it's fantastic thank you so much no worries thank you thanks for listening and just before you go we would love to hear your feedback so please give us a rating and review for other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration come and drop into our facebook community at bn bariatric if you've enjoyed our podcast we hope you will share on your facebook or instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode